We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Oh, mama! What a play! Now from Sooner Sports TV, here's Jessica Cootie and Meg McDonald. Welcome, everybody, back to the Sooner Sports Podcast with Jess and Meg. I'm Jessica Cootie, and she is Meg McDonald, and we have got a fun, jam-packed, busy show for you coming up today. We set out to do, we plan to do two 10 to 15-minute interviews turned into two that obviously 30 wasn't going to 20-minute <laughs> interviews, right? So uh, we've got Audra Cohen, the um, head coach for Oklahoma women's tennis and she was fantastic and you know fired up about Oklahoma women's tennis then we have Natalie Brown senior for Oklahoma women's gymnastics who are uh, about to begin their trek for their third national championship in a row number one overall seed just recently announced so um, that's what's coming up for you we're going to talk Audra first then we'll get to Natalie so uh, we're going to make this quick here at the beginning but Audra man what a road already you know so young and yet so successful already. And I don't know if you could have handed the reins over to anybody that would be more perfectly suited for the situation for Oklahoma women's tennis. And I was so impressed with her, Jess, the entire interview. Of course, she won individual singles national championship in 2007 at Miami. She went on to play pro right after. And then in 2009, she was hired at Wisconsin as an assistant coach for two years. And at 25 years old, Jess, in 2011, she was hired as the head coach at North 25 Florida. years old. Like, think about when you're 25 years old. Like, what were you doing with your life? Like, I was definitely know I was in Still no... Still trying to learn how to pay taxes. Right? 
I was like in no position to be in charge of a collegiate program. Like that says a, a lot about her right there, that North Florida had the faith in her to do that and that she had the confidence to do that. And she completely turned around this program. She was named the conference national or the conference coach of the year multiple times. She went 77 and 27 at North Florida as a head coach. Super impressed by her. And was building the program at that. So yeah, um, Definitely bright, bright future for Audra Cohen. And, you know, we talk for everything from, you know, how she even got into tennis, which she didn't even know she was very good. And then she ends up being one of the best tennis players in the country at one point. Uh, you know, her philosophy on turning, you know, a program around, recruiting, anything and everything. And we still had a lot more that we still wanted to talk to her. So without further ado, let's send it now to Audra Cohen. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> So very excited to have Audra Cohen joining us on the podcast today. You had a late night this weekend. Uh, you had a long weekend, and you're just now getting back and getting settled in. So we appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us. I know it was a crazy weekend. So, you know, with having uh, lots of young coaches, and especially with you and Lindsay over at volleyball, we thought it would be fun to kind of get your background and, and mm-hmm. how you're able to kind of be in this position right now at, at such a young age. So let's just start where, you know, you, you had a successful professional career and you were a success, successful collegiate player. So um, kind of what was it about the coaching that you wanted to get into it? When did you decide that, that was what you wanted to do and coach at the collegiate level? Because there's so many different levels that you can coach in tennis. Right. So the most interesting thing about tennis is that it's not a team sport by nature. And so when you coach at the collegiate level, you're actually coaching a team and you're you're teaching players that have always played for themselves or individually and competed against people from their own country and been really competitive, intercompetitive with people from their own country or their own club um, and trying to teach them how to be a part of a family or a team and, and trying to be a unit and and that's such a huge amount of like the growth spectrum on that for a tennis player compared to other athletes that have played on teams their entire their entire life um, the go the growth spectrum is so much bigger because what they have to start at and what they have to finish at is like it's such a drastic change and so that's the biggest uh um, that learning curve is something that I went through as a player when I first started college, uh, college tennis, and that, that learning curve is something that I find is so important for the development, and that's what kind of attracted me to coaching was, was helping others to go through that learning curve, especially, obviously, tennis players because of, of the upbringing that we have in an individual sport. So I'm curious, when you won the national title in 2007, I believe, in yeah. singles, kind of just elaborating, elaborating more off it really kind of being less of a team sport, even though you are right. in college, it is, but it's not. And then coaching now, how does that, how did that change for you? Yeah, it's so it's what's interesting is that when I won the NCAA championship, it, it, the way tennis is, is the first week of NCAAs is the team competition and the second week is the individual competition. So by the end of the individual competition, by that last day, it's like a ghost town <laughs> at the NCAA championships outside of the fans that come in. But you don't you're not really like associated with that. There's a big disconnect there. But from from your travel party and from other teams being there. It's really like two lone rangers. And so it's 
it's kind of this odd feeling. You feel like really isolated and really alone and you're really playing just for yourself. And so when I think back to my college career, actually my second year at my, well, my first year at Miami, my second year in college tennis, um, the team had a Cinderella story. Like we got to the finals of NCAAs. We kind of had no business being there. Um, we weren't like a top ranked team all year. So uh, we just kind of all clicked at the same time. And, and we had that Cinderella story where you get to the finals of NCAAs and um, you know, that's my most memorable moment as a, as a college athlete. And so when I think about like the individual portion of the season, I think you always, as a coach, I reflect on it now, like you you have players that, that look at the individual portion differently than other players because their goals are different. So for myself, I wanted to play professional tennis. So my goals, when it came to an individual tournament were really high, I had a really high standard. Um, and then now as a coach, you see that there are players that don't have the exact same goals. And, and so individual portion of the season, which is like our fall season, um, is actually more difficult for them because they find so much motivation in playing for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, as a player, I found motivation for both. You know, I always felt like I was like going out there and when it was team, it was obviously more fun and, and more engaging for the whole team atmosphere. But, um, you know, I, I held a high level of standard for myself as a, as a player, but, um, you know, as a coach, it's, you just have to adapt to what the goals of the players are and what they want and, and help them achieve that as much as possible. So that's the, that's the greatest lesson I think that I've learned along the way of, uh, from the start, my first years of coaching to where I'm at right now. How did you get into tennis in the first place and to get to the level of the player that you became? Right. It's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm the only one in my family that's an athlete. Really? And I'm, I'm the only tennis player. Yeah. <laughs> and so my my parents own an art publishing company. Um, my sister is uh, an, an editor of reality film, like the wow. Project cool. Runway and like the Kardashians and like big shows. So, so awesome. Um, and it was it just started as something to do after school because I was a pretty hyperactive kid and so my parents had me in like everything just to get me as tired as possible by the (laughs) end of the day and they worked a lot and um so I grew up in California until I was 13 and then we moved to Florida when I was uh when I was 13 and I didn't get really serious about tennis until we moved to Florida but I do like to say like considering the level that I got to I grew up really normal compared to what yeah. a lot of athletes mm-hmm. are, are growing up at. Especially like now. tennis players. Yeah. Because I mean, that's all you do. Yeah. I wasn't homeschooled at any point. I went to normal school and I just kind of got good playing after school. And um, I didn't travel nearly as much as many of the juniors are traveling now. Um, you know, the model that I took as a player, I don't know that that's that's a model that would possibly work nowadays. Um, but, you know, I was fortunate to have that, that really good balance of having a family that's not over, overly into it, but, uh, but really supportive at the same time. When did you know that tennis is not just going to be a part of my life, it's going to be something I really, really love? <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because I remember as a, as a recruit, the Florida coach came to my house. I was from Florida at the time and came to my house on July 1st, which is the first day you can do a home visit. And, and Florida was, you know, one of the top ranked schools and he was pretty new at Florida. And, and he, he said like, you know, we're, we're interested in having you come to Florida to come on an, on an official visit. And I was just like, okay, well, can I make the lineup? Like, (laughs) like, Am I going to be able to make the lineup? Like, is this realistic? And, um, and you know, like then the rest of that year kind of goes on and, 
And by the end of that year, I was actually like, I think I was ranked one in the country in the 18s or something. Like, and and I didn't think that that would happen. You know, I think I just kind of approached it like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to beat everybody that I play. And I hated losing so much that like it kind of just happens. And um, and then gradually, like as you get ranked high enough, you you have to change your goals. And so then it becomes a something that you really want to do. But I actually chose to go to college because I didn't. I thought I wanted to have a more normal life, you know, like yeah. versus like kind of just Travel going out there and traveling the world and, um, you know, just being being like in that circle of the rat wheel of pro tennis. So you're obviously very successful as an individual player. You went on to have a professional career. And a lot of times I feel like when whether it be it ends for college players or professional players, when it ends, it's like you have this emptiness and it's like almost like a borderline depression like what do I do now what was that transition like for you because you went on to play professional and then when it ended and you went on to coaching what was that like was it sad was it happy what what was kind of the feeling like at that time it was definitely all of the above I mean it's one of the hardest times I think for any athlete to deal with and um, and I try to remind our players now to enjoy what they have at this moment because two years out is really that kind of like at least that's what I've seen from the alumni that have graduated from uh, of the players that I've coached over time. Like they always come back around two years later and they're like, oh, my gosh, I miss it so much. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, you know, it's it's a tough time. I think it really impacted me when I when I turned pro like it's just just the motivation to to get better that practice every day. Like those things just were it just got a little bit more stale when it's just for you and it's a, a different vibe. So um, it's definitely something that. I I miss that team culture, that team atmosphere, and I think that's what really initially might have drawn me to, to coaching as well. So, so you're in your second season here at OU. Yeah. What's been the biggest point of growth for you in, since last year? Patience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Like, and I'll say this: we we and came in, and um, you inherit the team that is here, and. Um, there's always that feeling from both sides that's like, well, we didn't pick you, you didn't pick us, like yeah. that. And and so kind of just dealing with that and being okay with that and like finally like kind of f- finding that middle ground where like, hey, okay, well, we can still make it work and we can, maybe this is all for the better, you know? And, and so that's the part that I think we're, we're coming around to that, but it takes so much time to do that. And, and so it's, it's definitely been a difficult thing, I think, for, for both sides. I mean, for the, for the players, it's, it's obviously difficult as well because we came in and we had uh, different expectations than what, what they had initially had or what they had signed up for when they had signed with OU. So, um, you know, that's the biggest challenge of it and, and kind of meeting halfway with it and being patient about that is, is really been the greatest learning curve. So I've heard from several people that remember watching you play that you were a bulldog <laughs> as a player. Like, I mean, you, like you talk about you hated to lose. You weren't scared yeah. to play anybody. You went out there and I'm going to win. Yeah. How much do you have has that transitioned and translated to what you are as a coach and what you do with these players? Right. So it's funny <laughs> because my mom was in town last week and we were talking about it. And uh and as a, as a coach, I'm, like, cool as a cucumber. It's, like, it's so strange. Like, as a player, I was, like, like really intense and really, like, in your face. Like, I wanted to kick your butt. And and now as a, as a coach, yeah, I'm just kind of cool as a cucumber. I feel like everybody is beatable if you figure it out and you're calm mm-hmm. and you can think through it. And, um, and obviously, you know, you teach that competitiveness to the players. But uh, competitiveness comes in so many different 
ways mm -hmm. from different players. Like, for example, our number one right now is um, Japanese, uh, by, of Japanese culture. She's from, she, she's from England, but, um, you know, she's just more stoic with her emotion. And I would say, as a coach, I know her so well now that I can read her emotions through that stoicness of it. But, um, but she's not going to be in your face. She's never going to be. I can't coach her to be who I was as a player right. because um, that's obviously not, it's, it's not ideal. But there are ways to kind of get that competitiveness out, and, and we draw it out and practice a lot. Um, we don't do a lot of just mundane hitting or drilling. We do a lot of competitiveness and just trying to draw those, those moments out of everybody. How important is it to be able to read each athlete individually and know exactly what they want while also not comparing them to what you were like? Right. That is easier as time goes on, obviously. <laughs> I've always had kind of a knack for that. That's how I felt at least. And I think some of it was because as a player, I, I was intense and I had that emotionality about my, my tennis, but I had a lot of adaptability within my game. So I kind of had to figure it out. Like, so I didn't, every day I'd, I didn't go out there and play one style. I played whatever I had to play to beat the girl across the net for me. Like, so there were days that I would just play counter punching tennis and just run down every ball. And there were days that I would just hit, hit the ball big. So it really would depend completely on my opponent. And that was the one thing that has helped me the most, I would say, in coaching and kind of understanding each person's game is that sometimes if I can think about, like, if I had their tools specifically, mm -hmm. like, how would I beat this girl that they're playing? And so um, that is something that I've always felt like uh, tactically I've been pretty strong at. Uh, we talked about uh, talked about at the beginning just how young you are and, and that – you know, you're here at, at such a young age and, and everyone's so excited about what you're doing with this program and the future of this program. But what was it about you and, and your journey that allowed for you to be ready and for them to have the confidence in you at this young age? Right. I think the biggest um, and most important decision I made was after I uh, left Wisconsin, I went to be the head coach at North Florida and I was 25. I could rent a car and uh, <laughs> barely. Yeah. And, and so, um, but you know, there's, there's a lot of young 25 year olds that are especially female that are getting into coaching and, and the fear they would, they would never even look at a North Florida head job, like, and go after it. It would be, you know, you want that power five assistant job and then go to a, a head assist, a head at a power five from there. And so I, I do think that that's also a very viable path. But the path of, of taking ownership at mm -hmm. such a young age and like, I mean, five years of actual serious ownership to the point where you're funding the program with fundraising, you're, um, you're taking out the garbage before the match because, you know, maybe <laughs> the, the event staff just didn't show up on Saturday. Like, yeah. you know, those things, that humbleness of it is like, it is something that you just can't, you can't learn any other way. And, and so when you go into... It, when you, when you build that system and that and that program up to a certain point and, and put in the years of like creating that um, that program that's now na nationally reputable and uh, and then you walk into a place like this that you have the resources it's actually a much different transition than it is had I been an assistant at a power five and and taken that transition without really understanding maybe every single piece of the puzzle from right. from the academic certification of an incoming student athlete. Those were things that we had to do ourselves at North Florida. And here it's like, I, I think if you asked anybody how to do it, they'd be like, what, what the heck is that? You know, <laughs> so like 
I feel the the most important thing is that everybody in the support staff, I feel like I can understand and know how to help them to do their job and to do their job if, if for say, that, that piece of the puzzle wasn't there that day. Right. You really built the North Florida program from the ground up. Yeah. What do you think the key, in the short amount of time, what do you yeah. think the keys were that really got it going? I think community energy is such a big part of it. Um, you know, I think the we got the community really invested in the, in the program and we, we reached out to a lot of the ladies leagues and we had like $1 mimosa days and uh, we had $1 beers. We were, we were getting like three over 300 people to women's tennis matches. And so, um, you know, that was such a big part of it and, and getting the, the players invested in the community. Also, we did a lot of kids days and a lot of, um, ladies league days and Mm -hmm. and things like that and we really did as much as we could to give back and I think at the time you know as a player you don't realize how important it is but um if not there would you wouldn't have that group of ladies that knows you by first name that that um you know possibly could be your future employers and or could be helping you to get an internship when you're done and those kinds of things are really important for the future of of them but also it, it it makes it makes the players change how they behave and how they approach the challenge of competition. Bigger than um, themselves. It's bigger than them. They they know they're being their eyes are uh, there are a lot of eyes on them. They have to to not only behave a certain way but but produce a certain level um, in terms of their competitiveness and their desire and and that's something that. Um, you know, we're, we're working on here and, and that's still part of the process, whether you have more resources to do it or not, you know, our job is to use those resources and to make the most out of them. You talked about, um, managing the expectations of, of a group of, you know, kids that maybe didn't have the same expectations when they signed up to play here and maybe that you had coming in. So when you balance that, how do you change those expectations? And obviously it gets easier once you get the kids that you recruited in, but in a short amount of time, in the first couple, two or three years when you're setting the tone for this program and its future, how do you get that thing turned around? Yeah, I think that's been the hardest thing. I think that's actually something we talked about just now on the way home from Baylor. We lost to Baylor, and um, and it was a 4-0 loss, and we had two two matches that were basically mat- – I mean, they both had match points to finish the match straight sets like 3-2 and two, and just to get off the court, and they let it come back because they saw their teammates around them and because I think, you know, when you're a senior and your whole career you've been losing to Baylor – and and so their approach when we go into Baylor is like, well, it's Baylor, we lose to Baylor. And I, they don't they don't know that that's what they're feeling, but there is some of that left there. And and so in my approach is, well, <laughs> I've never lost to Baylor. <laughs> so like, uh, and What's going so, on here? yeah, well, like I've never lost to Baylor. I don't I, I don't think Baylor's great. I think uh, they're they're very good. They're awesome. I mean, at what they do, but they're limited at what they do. Like, I feel like we can go in and if we play a certain style and we're really sure of ourselves, like we have the tennis to beat them. And so I think that's where we have to find that middle ground and be able to talk about how you feel walking into Baylor and um, beforehand. And sometimes I think that level of expectation that I have from a like, maybe not expectation, but just knowing what they're capable of is, um, is it can be a little bit daunting for a player to to handle because you want to please the coach you want to please the program you want to do all the right things and they they do they do all the right things constantly and just trying to get them to get over that hump of like look history doesn't have to repeat itself if you don't let it 
like take take the bull by the horns and and make sure that you create your own history the way you want and that's the part of the process that we're in right now it's the trickiest part um i would say in terms of of uh, like we said, inheriting a, a, a different mindset and, and, and trying to cultivate it, but also uh, cultivate it in a way that's the girls learning how to use their own strengths and, and to see that, that history didn't have to be like that if, mm-hmm. if you believed in what you had. How do you change that mindset of your players? Do you break them down and build them back up or do you just build them up? Like, what's that look like? You know, it, it looks different for every player Mm -hmm. i wish i could give you a a, like carte blanche answer or like look this is the equation x plus Mm -hmm. like there's no equation to it every player's confidence like clock is it it ticks a different way and uh, you just have to stay really in tune with what where each player's at and and the leadership of the confidence is a big thing like kind of that that doubt part is contagious and so is confidence and and so who's going to be the leader of that confidence and really bring it and then and then the rest follow whether it's an individual sport or whether it's a team sport it's uh that's just kind of how it works yeah. i've got a couple more for you i know we've taken up a lot of your time yeah. but um sooner fans love to know about recruiting and yeah. the coaches different philosophies on recruiting and i know it's different with tennis you go from all over the country as opposed to maybe a lot of these programs here maybe go to Texas, Oklahoma. Right, but right. what's what's your recruiting philosophy? How do you go about it? And when do you kind of see that this is a person that's going to be a fit for us? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I look for is actually personality uh-huh. uh, and competitiveness. It's like I talked about. I mean, I, I probably recruit somebody who's a lot more of a competitor like I was as a player. And maybe that's part of, like, why I recruit like that because uh-huh. – um, you know, you just that that competitiveness, competitiveness, that energy, that hunger to to do something like to just to kick the kick the opponent's butt. Like yeah. there's no other way of saying it. Like uh-huh. um, you can see it on players, and and when times get tough, like do they step up and get a little bit tougher, or you know, kind of back down a little bit and let the other person roll over them. And so that's something I really look for in recruiting. And at this, at the level that we're recruiting, everybody has a forehand and a backhand, a serve and a volley. Everybody has pretty much all the fundamentals you need. And, and the key difference, whether they are ranked really high in a five-star recruit or a blue chip, like um, the, the key difference is the personality and the amount of growth that is within that. So is you can be a really competitive person and still be really fixed-minded. So you really have to get to know them and, and get to understand not only their personality, but their upbringing, kind of their, their whole, the whole picture of it. Mm-hmm. I try to do a home visit with every single player that we recruit. Now that, now that um, I'm at OU, it's a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at North Florida, it was a, a bit more difficult, but like you just, you really have to know exactly what you're getting when you sign them to a five-year deal. So you're recruiting people from like, um, exotic destinations everywhere actually (laughs) yeah everywhere we uh we hit the road this summer and it's been uh it's been awesome we have I'm really excited about the crew we have coming in we have uh a couple of uh just just really strong characters which I'm excited excited about and last question for you you talked about what you did at North Florida and how you know the the crowds that you developed and and how important that was to what you had done there when you start going here and, and for me, I was one of those people that 
I didn't realize how much fun tennis is to watch. It doesn't translate as well on TV, I feel like, as yeah. when you're there. Like, it, it's so yeah. much more exciting when you're there. You're watching it. It's it's nerve-wracking. It's like you're, you right. can't – it's like um, sensor overload because there's so much yeah. going on in so many <laughs> different courts. And you're going, oh, my gosh, what's going on over here? Yeah. And six and five, and there's somebody coming back on four. So yeah. I think a lot of people – that's what I always tell people. I'm like, you don't understand you that sport until there. you're yeah. there. So when you're, you know, again, you're doing your – laying the groundwork and building this foundation, how important is it to get – Get people out there and maybe have them understand kind of what you're doing it's it's you got to be there to kind of see it and understand it right you have to be there to see it tv does it justice for maybe the match that it's that is zoned in on but like there is nothing like li- seeing a live tennis match and just the it is it's sensory overload <laughs> i always say it's really good for people with add they get to like <laughs> go around and see a million uh-huh. like there's so many things going on and there's so many shifts in momentum yeah that you can't really understand and feel unless you're there um so it is one of the the coolest atmospheres and now that it's no ad scoring with those deuce points they're just they're huge and uh, and you know that you could get a break on one, and then you go down three zero on court six at the same time. And so it's like the the feeling as a as a spectator that wants like that just wants the, your team to do well. It's like you're on edge the whole time, even if the match isn't close at the end score. It feels close the whole match. Right. And that plays into what your players are doing on the court, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So get out and come support Oklahoma women's tennis. You guys still have some great matches coming up here at home. OSU. Yes. OSU this weekend. And Wichita State's good. Everybody we play coming up is uh, ranked in the top 30. So everybody's good. Everybody's going to make or break whether we get in the NCAA tournament or not. So we really need a lot of people to come out and support. All right, you heard it right there from the source herself, <laughs> and we look forward to seeing what you're doing. We appreciate your time. We'll have to get you back on because I know, like, I still had several questions left, but we're here we've been going almost 30 minutes. So we appreciate your time, and uh, best of luck this weekend. Thank you. Meg, when we got done talking to Lindsey Gray Walton a couple weeks ago, you know, we both walked away very, very excited and pumped about volleyball season, and it was a, a lot of the similar feelings that I had from that mm-hmm. with Audra. They have different personalities, but you can't be inspired and motivated. You can't not be inspired and motivated after talking to Audra and, you know, again, just her, her you know, feistiness and her, her competitiveness. And, like, you know, I, I just – I love it. I love it. And they are so different. Like, when you hear from both coaches, they're so different, but they're similar in the sense that – they have this passion for everything that not not just the sport, but everything that surrounds the sport. Like Audra was going out and trying to get connected connected to the community. And she was doing essentially her own marketing at North right. Florida. Yeah. Granted, she, we have resources here at OU that she is very grateful for. But just I love the comparison of the two. They're both really young, but they're both super feisty, super passionate. Have and plans in tough. place. Yeah, yeah and I they're mean, not going to be easy on their players, but they're going to care about them. And that's exactly what you want from your coach. And you got to think that, again, being so young, like we've talked about so much with Lincoln Riley, um, being relatable, you know, like um, just – knowing that not too long ago these were people that were in your shoes and that get it and then not to mention like Audra was at the top of her game not only did she win a national title you know but she had a great professional career was expected to go on and play you know professionally for a long time fell in love with coaching and you know that's how she ended up here but yeah I mean you would want to learn like for me if I'm coming here I would want to learn from somebody who's 
been there and done that, knows how to win. Well respected, yeah. One of my favorite things that I took away is here she did all these great things as an individual, and her favorite thing that she did was when she was part of a team and what her team did. And I think that has to relate to coaching. You know, if you just wanted to be an individual Especially player. Especially college coaching. Right. You're not going to be a coach. It just isn't going to work. Yeah. <laughs> you're all about the team. Those are the best coaches. They want it for everyone. They want it so badly. And to have that mindset as a college student, that's huge. That really shows that coaching really is her future. And switching gears, I mean, it's kind of similar in the fact that, you know, you talk about Someone like K.J. Kendler and that here's the next generation, you know, that um, so many great female coaches at the University of Oklahoma. And here's K.J. Kendler is set to take her team number one overall seed in, you know, the postseason with NCAA Gymnastics. They've been there. They know what to do. They've been the number one team all season long, which is different from last year where they got knocked off a couple times. But this year they've maintained that and they've answered to the pressure all year long. And a big part of that is the senior class that they have in place. And one of those gymnasts that has been there and done that, who has a crazy interesting story as well, is Natalie Brown, All-American, was a walk-on, earned her spot in the lineup, and then you know has delivered time and time again, especially this year, and doing it battling some, some circumstances and some trials that she had to overcome. And the women's gymnastics team coming off their seventh straight Big 12 championship. So this senior class had a clean slate of Big 12 championships where I think they took a lot of pride in that, that they won every single year. And Natalie Brown coming in late to the season, it's so hard coming off an injury, breaking into lineups because once season starts, lineups are pretty much set and coaches know how to build the lineup and the, the, the scoring is kind of perceived by the judges that you start with someone who's super consistent as your leadoff and then you build. So Maggie Nichols will go last in hoping for a 10th. So breaking into that lineup, and of course Natalie, everyone knows Natalie's, Natalie's reliable, but they're number one in the nation on beam. How do you break into a lineup when you're already the best? And she has done that. It's been really hard for her, but she knows what she, knows she needs to do for the team, and that's exactly what she's done this season. Here is senior Natalie Brown. One of my favorite student athletes on campus is <laughs> Natalie Brown. And I'll tell you why, because you talk about, you know, the student athlete and, and everything that goes into it. And a lot of people, they just do what they're supposed to do within their sport. But Natalie is probably the most involved um, student athlete in extracurricular activities that I've known since I've been here on campus. And it's crazy because it's this is such a demanding sport, but then it's year-round, but yet yeah, you're in a sorority. You do the leadership council um, with the student athletics or the, yeah, the athletics department. Um, and then you also volunteer at the hospital. You do all kinds of things, and then you still have some hobbies like you're a really good singer and all of that <laughs> stuff. So I don't know how you do it. But I think your journey here is cool, too, that maybe a lot of people don't know. You started out as a walk-on. So can yeah. you take us back to when you were going through the recruiting process, you were going through where you wanted to go to college, this, it was OU, and you were going to walk on and, and try to make this team that's where they were when you, when you got here? Yeah, it's actually funny because I didn't know where I was going my entire senior year of high school. And then, I don't know, it was during our season, which is so late to be looking at colleges still, I get a letter from KJ and it was a personal letter and it really like spoke to me and I was like, hmm, I've never really thought about OU. Both my parents went to UT, but <laughs> so I'm, sure I'm going to give that. it a, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to give it a chance. They had 
uh, just gotten second, and they were about to win their first national championship. So I was like, I'm going to go and visit this school. Walked on campus, fell in love, fell in love with the coaches, and I just knew that it was the place for me, and I knew that they believed in me, and I was going to be given a chance here. So, so coming to OU, knowing that they're at least in the top three, and they're mo- pretty much moving up each and every year, were you intimidated? Like, did you figure you would make two lineups your freshman year? I think I, I wasn't intimidated. I think I was really motivated because I saw how hard they worked, and my first preseason here I'm not gonna lie it was rough for me (laughs) if you if you see me like I'm not one of those bulky gymnasts I'm very long and lean so it was harder for me to gain muscle and some of them didn't think that I was gonna make it but I pulled through and I really have come a long way and I'm very thankful that I chose Oklahoma yeah, how often do you hear that? Because we've talked about that a lot. Like, and that's something that you hear all the announcers that cover your games or your games, <laughs> your meets. I'm I'm still stuck in basketball okay. mode. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, but but cover your meets, and they talk about how you you're different, and you have this you you look different when people watch you. You have this different approach to your gymnastics. Is that something that you've always had? Is it something you knew that maybe you could do differently that maybe set you apart? I I think it does set me apart, and I think in ways it kind of challenged me to just, I don't know, to, to get better in the, in the gym all the time because I, I'm talented, but I wasn't, like, naturally, like, born talented. I'm more of a dancer and, like, a performer, and I think that's what KJ saw in me. And She loves that. She <laughs> loves that, and that's what I really brought to the floor because um, everyone on our team does crazy tumbling passes, and I might not – be able to bring that but my performance was always there and I really get into it and I think that's what the judges loved about me I mean I'm not doing floor right now but I am doing beam and I can still do that on beam too so (laughs) (laughs) was was the performance and the dancing did that come natural to you like if you watch if a fan watches you on floor like you actually can dance and not a lot of gymnasts (laughs) can say like they can dance they do a couple little moves and they tumble couple little moves like you actually perform has that always been natural I've always been a performer (laughs) if you ask my parents they have tons and tons of videos of me and dance and singing just little just putting on shows for them in our house we put on puppet shows that would last (laughs) like three hours there would be no ending and then my parents would just start clapping and we'd be like it's not over yet (laughs) and we just I love performing and I love being on stage and entertaining people so when I get to perform floor, like, that's the most entertaining, like, it's the, uh, it just gets my adrenaline pumping, and, like, putting a smile on someone's face, and staring the judges right in the eye, and having them smirk, like, it's really cool. Have you ever thought about doing Cirque du Soleil? No, I actually haven't. Interesting. Because that's pretty, I mean, what they do is basically, a, it's a performance, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then they could add a singing element to that, too. Yeah, I'll which just we'll get to that. and sing. You'd be the ultimate <laughs> Cirque du Soleil. Yes, it's so different. <laughs> but no, you mentioned you're not in the floor lineup right now. Big part of that is because you're coming off an injury and you're rehabbing from that, which is not easy to do when you're, you know, <laughs> pounding on your knees all the time. So, you know, I know the process wasn't easy for you and you're coming off, you're going into your senior year. You had a great junior year. So, um, you know, you're, you're back in the beam lineup and obviously a critical part of that. But how what did you learn about that self, about that process? Because I know it's very, very difficult, especially watching from the sidelines. Yeah. It was it was really hard for me at first, especially I've never had to go through something like this. And 
I was in shock when it happened and I knew that something was wrong because like I never had that pain and they just kind of thought I tweaked it at first and then the next day they thought I tore my ACL thankfully I'm very blessed and I didn't tear my ACL so I was able to come back and it was really tough and I'm not gonna lie there was a lot of tears but I have a really good support system and Jen is amazing and KJ always motivated me all the coaches did and even my teammates they saw how hard I was working and they would help me too and I don't know it taught me a lot and I've told KJ this the past four like the past four months have taught me the most like in my time here and I think I've grown the most as a person because I think it like taught me uh that you can't really take things for granted Mm -hmm. especially it's my last year and when that happened I thought I was done and I was like wow that's it but then I got a chance to come back so I worked really really hard and because I love gymnastics I wouldn't have walked on here if I didn't and I'm very passionate about it and I think it just brought out a new passion from me and like really made me invest in my team and invest in gymnastics and my coaches and what they needed from me and so uh, coming back into the beam lineup was a little difficult because we have a lot of depth Mm -hmm. and it was really cool to watch since January since we started competing and Honestly, I was like, do they even need me? And I, <laughs> and <laughs> an all and, American, <laughs> yeah, it, but you know, it, I mean, it kind of got in my head, but I had to block that out because you have to just keep proving to yourself, proving to your team and to KJ that you are needed and you're going to go out there and you're going to do what you do in practice in a competition. And I think I finally proved that to her and I got back in the lineup and I'm very happy that I'm back. So. <laughs> How hard is it to break into the lineup mid-season? Because generally, lineups are pretty much set with what works, and Oklahoma on beam is number one in the country, so it's it's been working. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that it's difficult, but I am a senior, and KJ knows how I am on beam, and she's watched it for, for years now, and I think she has that trust in me now that she'll put me in and give me chances, and – I really want to use every chance and opportunity to the fullest because if she believes in me, like I need to believe in myself because KJ knows. <laughs> KJ knows. Okay, so you do all of this, like we talked about, all the gymnastics thing, but then you're so involved outside of that. How Was that something that you were excited about from day one? How did you balance it? How I mean, what was it? I mean, probably most people will be like, you are – nuts to try to do all of that but how did you do it and why was it important for you to get so involved with everything outside of gymnastics oh when I first came in I don't I don't even remember now how I had that much energy because (laughs) I was always going I I was so involved with my sorority I did you sing and then I would go I would come from practice we'd have morning workouts then I'd go to practice and then I would go to using practice at night and do my homework and I would do the same thing for a, a long time. I don't know how I had the energy to do it. I don't know how I stayed so positive, <laughs> because that was a rough that was a rough se- uh, preseason yeah. for me because it was brand new. Everything was new, and I was like, "Wow, okay, got to push through." But I think for me, I'm just very social and I'm outgoing, and I really wanted to connect with different people at the university and not just uh, shelter myself with one certain thing like I love my team so much but I wanted to adventure out and see different people and meet meet people Mm -hmm. and find different organizations that I could be a part of because I don't think you should limit yourself I mean when it comes to time sometimes you have to but (laughs) 
at first I didn't want to do that. I wanted to really use everything that I had right in front of me. So. so I don't think a lot of fans know that Natalie Brown has a song on iTunes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have two. Don't listen to the. You have really two. You have two yeah, songs. Don't listen to the first one. You should listen to that. <laughs> so what was that moment like? I mean, recording <laughs> a s- two songs and having your name on iTunes. Uh, it was it was fun. Yeah, gro- uh, in high school I did music and gymnastics, and it was kind of. Mm, I shouldn't have done it because I should have waited a little bit because it's kind of really it's kind of hard to separate the two and time wise like I wasn't dedicating enough time to either one. It's hard to excel in in one. You can't spread yourself too thin. Right. And it's definitely something that I want to pursue after I'm done with gymnastics. I I basically have like a whole studio set up in my room right now. (laughs) But uh, recording in a studio when I was that young was kind of. It was kind of surreal, but it was it was like where I practiced singing and stuff. But I think I didn't take it as seriously as I should have because now I would go in and I'd be completely different. But I think my voice has matured a lot since then, so don't judge me for those <laughs> songs. What is it about music and singing that is also part of your passion? Mm. I love music, and I think it connects everyone mm-hmm. together. And it's something that's huge in my life. And my mom always grew up singing to me. And we're just very, like, my whole family is very creative and musical and artistic. And I think that also shows in my gymnastics a little bit with the whole music thing. It just, I don't know. Without music, I don't know You're if not I you. would be the same. Yeah. I wouldn't know. It's I funny. Like, I always watch, uh, if you follow her on Instagram, she <laughs> posts, like, her latest music. And if, if it's not <laughs> on do. my if it's not on my playlist, I listen to it and, and download I and it. download it. Like, we have, like, a, a similar taste of music, I feel like. Yeah, but I like the raw emotional stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very I, – I tap into my emotions really well. And I like the deep songs with meaning because a lot of songs nowadays don't have that much meaning to them. So when I find one that does – I will replay it and replay it and learn it and sing it and replay it. And everyone's like, how do you already know all the words? <laughs> how long does it take you to learn a song? Mm-hmm. Like to sing? Well, okay, so you play instruments too. <laughs> okay, I'm learning guitar. I'm not that good at it yet. Maybe after gymnastics. <laughs> but um, I can kind of play the piano. I, I don't know. I can teach myself songs. I know how to, like, the keys work and everything. And the can chords you read and music? Mm-hmm. Or you're just self-taught. I'm just like if you I know the chords. Yeah, I, oh, and I I can't read music. Like I don't play classical piano. I did when I was little for a long time, but I'm very ADD, so <laughs> I would go to piano and not want to do it. And I I did one recital or whatever, and I think I messed up a little bit, and I was so frustrated that I didn't want to go back and embarrassed. So do you write music too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I write songs. I haven't in a long time because I'm trying to just like be all in for the team and stuff but when I'm done like I can't wait for what all I'm gonna do I'm gonna make a list (laughs) well you have a lot going on for you yeah so not only that okay because I mean I wanted to make sure we had on I I told you at the beginning like she's involved in everything (laughs) you're also a big part of the the leadership council what's it's changed I'm sorry I should yeah the captain's table Mm -hmm. and then what about the it's not sack anymore sale sale yes so you're involved in that as Mm -hmm. well um, but then also you have big time aspirations for outside of 
all of this other stuff. Yeah. You want to get into sports broadcasting. Yeah. So what is like it about y'all. that that like <laughs> in, it, it sparks your interest as well? I love sports. So I think uh, that's why. And my major is sports management. So I want to go to grad school for broadcasting. And I don't know. Sports has always been something along with music. It's always been something like in my life that I go to and it's I'm very connected with it because I have that athletic mindset and so being able to like I want to kind of do what you do like uh, stories on people because I'm really curious to know like how they were brought up and their work ethic and like what their dreams are where they want to go like it how makes they you got connect there. to them it does in a and, it, and then it makes you when you see them doing their sport it makes you want to watch them more because right. you feel like you know them uh-huh. and so I think it's really cool and I don't know, being on camera, like I said, I like to perform. <laughs> <laughs> but so all these things just go hand in hand for you, though. I mean, like, it's not about time management. It's you are you because all these things go hand in hand. Yeah. Right? Yes. I, I have a lot of different characteristics, I think. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. There, I, I don't like limiting, limit, limiting myself to anything. I like to see the big picture and just kind of go I don't want to say oh that's too far I can't reach that because like you never know like even with music I mean my chances becoming successful with music are really small but that doesn't mean I'm not going to just do it for fun or anything so so what else what have we not talked about when it comes to some of your hobbies Hmm. did we touch on everything I used to be a baker like when (laughs) I was little I used to bake all the time I wouldn't eat it I would just bake it. <laughs> and my mom would be like, why did you make this? But, yeah, that's one random thing. Hmm. I used to be very OCD. Mm. I'm still know. OCD, so it's okay. I'm still OCD, but it's gone down a little bit because of my time. So I don't have time to be that OCD anymore. So I guess finally in closing, just kind of what what are your plans? I mean, I know you – obviously are in pursuit of a national title but yeah. we've talked about all these things like yeah. what if, in a perfect world what would be the next few steps for natalie brown <sighs> okay so after we win <laughs> and then i graduate i want to uh, go to grad school here for sports broadcasting and then i want to do music along alongside that as well and do it and kind of write songs and make covers and stuff because i've promised that I would and then I just never find the time to so I want to do that and hopefully one day uh get to work with ESPN or something and or I don't know have a hit song I don't know I just want to be involved with either sports or music mm-hmm. and I'll be happy you'll do both for a while too yeah so the next time we need a uh, somebody to step in and um be, fill in for the podcast if Meg and I can't make it. We're okay, calling yeah. you, right? Okay. You think yeah. you can handle this? Yeah. Just chit chatting yeah. about your life. I lives? like this. Yes. Yeah, you crushed it. Thanks. Okay, so Meg, <laughs> the next time you're slacking, All right. I'm calling Natalie <laughs> to fill your place. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Natalie, thanks for your time. Best Thank of you. luck in the postseason. Thank we look you. forward to it. I love you guys. <laughs> So, again, I, I mean, I mentioned it at the beginning, you know, when I was introducing Natalie, uh, you know, getting to know her over the, la- the last four years. I mean, she really is, um, you know, has been so great to deal with. And I think, again, it's one of those things that a lot of you watch her and she, you know, delivers on a national 
championship team, but a lot of what she does goes unseen. You know, um, there was a story, a feature story that I did um, in football season with Baker Mayfield. You might recall Mackenzie who passed away. She was a special spectator and, you know, Baker dedicated the season to her and, um, you know, spoke at her funeral. And, you know, upon doing research for that, Come to find out, Natalie um, was there with some other student athletes and went to visit her several times. And, you know, the, one of the volunteers at the children's hospital just went on and on and on about how great Natalie is with those kids and how much they just love her and adore her and, you know, are just drawn to her. And so, you know, again, I think, and we didn't even really talk about that much, but I think that, again, shows just such huge character. And then, you know, I've been a part of those sale meetings where Natalie is a part of, and you see her speaking up as a leader, you know, within the athletic, athletics department. And you're talking about there's football players in there. There's basketball players in there. There's baseball players in there. There's player or athletes from all different sports. And here she is using her voice, you know, to make this athletics department better and stronger in areas outside of just sports how can we be better leaders so that's where I think is why I just respect so much what Natalie has done in her four-year career here she really does go beyond student athlete and I think that's one of my favorite things about her is when you essentially as a college athlete you have to be quote-unquote obsessed with your sport like you have to be obsessed with it that's how they got gymnastics is year-round they're in the gym all year round right but just in general if you're not obsessed you're not going to be compete on the d1 at the d1 scale let alone oklahoma with the school they call champ U. I mean ou is some of the best of the best and you have to be obsessed with this sport but she's been able to get to where she is with her sport while doing all these other things. And I don't think she sleeps because (laughs) she's so busy. But I I love that about her. She's well-rounded. She came into OU wanting to be that person. She wanted to have these experiences to really find herself, find exactly what she liked, and be that well-rounded individual. And again, one thing that you hear from, you know, when you're listening to broadcasters that maybe from ESPN to, you know, Kelly Garrison Thunderbird or, you know, whoever it might be that might be calling women's gymnastics, they all talk about how different Natalie looks compared to everybody else in the lineup. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, you know, and she talks about having using that to be able to set herself apart, whereas she might not be as talented as of a tumbler and she might not have as much power, but she uses what her strengths are to get into that. And so for, you know, the dummies that don't understand what that means as well, can you break that down? Why she's different, what she does, it kind of sets herself apart when she doesn't do what you expect, you know, coming from Oklahoma women's gymnastics, you think, Oh, you just do what everybody else does. Yeah. Natalie has a leaner build where she just really doesn't have the power to do say vault and she's never really been a great bar worker but for floor you generally need that power but somehow she's worked into her tumbling passes she's kind of like worked around it so she still has really difficult tumbling passes but she does forward passes where you don't need the power but it's still the same difficulty so it's still very tricky but she has found loopholes and then you have KJ Kindler who's been able to pull out the performance side of her and she's already she kind of mentioned that she has that she's had that forever but of course KJ with the choreography knows exactly how her how she moves and has really played to her strengths and she's an all-american on floor for a reason and of course the same choreography on beam she doesn't do the most difficult beam routine 
but she finds a way to do it perfectly. And 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 you you and I have talked about this a lot with gymnastics. It is it's it's what's pleasing to the eye. Mm-hmm. And with Natalie, it's because it's different and because she's so fluid and graceful. It, it it's pleasing to the eye. So you especially to like people who don't know, like it doesn't look less difficult to me than anybody else in the lineup. And one thing that a lot of people in the gymnastics world have complained about is they've lost the artistry. So that means, like, the dance is no longer there because they're just packing everything with difficult... Like, if you watch, like, a snowboarding competition like the X Games, the commentators talk about how they're losing the style points because they're just throwing these crazy tricks and it's getting out of hand. It's starting to get dangerous. And Natalie is still able to bring the artistry back, which I think a lot of gymnastics fans really, really like about her. And probably certainly gymnastics, um, you know, what... What's that word where you're you purist, purist mm-hmm. of the yeah, sport, exactly. probably really love watching Natalie as well. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm. Yeah, my point is, yeah. Yeah, so um, we appreciate Natalie. I mean, again, just um, great, great human being beyond uh, what she's done and, you know, battling through that injury, which, again, is why you don't see her on the floor, which you said it, it, her floor routine is one of your favorites. And it always is because she's different. She has the artistry and, like, a lot of gymnasts, this is where KJ Kindler comes in. She's a genius, so she can pull out the best from that individual. But a lot of gymnasts can't really dance, like compared <laughs> to like dancers who are actually performers and trained dancers. Like we, we generally just kind of go to the corner, and some we the plan is to get to the corner so we can tumble. <laughs> that's that's how a lot of routines are if you watch other teams in the NCAA. But that's not how it is here at Oklahoma and Natalie can all already dance and KJ just pulls it out even more. She's yeah, she's really great on floor. Yeah. So, but again, you know, coming back off that knee injury, hard to get back into floor where it's such a pounding on your knees, but I know they're glad to have somebody who's been there, done that can deliver on the biggest stage under the brightest lights in that beam lineup, which again, like you've mentioned several times is so mental and, you know, she's been there and done that. So that will be huge for them moving forward. And again, number one overall seed. So uh, Meg, targets on their back. And, you know, you talk about the competition surrounding it and, and everyone's going to be gunning for them and they have the pressure, you know, everything's on them. How do you go about, you know, winning three in a row? It's so hard to do. And what's their approach? You know, we talk about softball a lot and how they don't, connect the three you know they're back-to-back defending national champs too but they don't talk about it as that they it's they won it in 2016 they won in 2017 and this is a different year even though a lot of the same people this is not a team that was a national championship team and they make sure they hammer that home so what's the approach for women's gymnastics on that end of the deal so as they head to regionals they'll have to be the top two teams from their region which they should be they're the number one overall seed and then at nationals really the top three to four six teams can win it that day so they cannot go in thinking that they have it it's not LSU probably could have beaten them had the competition been preliminaries right because LSU was lights out yeah last year exactly exactly and then Utah looks great this year UCLA I mean they almost tied this year when they're at UCLA uh OU beat them by less than a tenth on the road, it came down to the last routine in Maggie Nichols, and she got a 10. Had she gotten a 9-9-7-5, they could have lost. Wow. So it's, yeah, they 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 are aware going in that it's a game of inches. It's a game of tenths of a point. They know that they have to be on 
these next couple weeks in order to just get there, let alone win. And and kind of wrapping up on this, but you talk about how it was so hard for Natalie to break into the lineup. How much do you think that there's so much competition on this OU team that that allows them to kind of maybe not look at it as so much pressure, but I better do my dang well best or my spot's taken next week. And your spot will be taken like that. If yeah. you, I mean, Natalie had to take someone's spot who actually put up a 9-9 the week before. And that's just because KJ knows Natalie is going to hit. And it, it, it prepares it prepares yeah, you, right? I mean, it, like, for these situations where, exactly. you know, yeah, you're, you've got the target on your back, but my target's on my back in the gym every, every day, day at practice. Yeah, and, like, of course, KJ Kindler will set up a situation where they're not, they're not competing against each other for lineup spots, but they're pushing each other for lineup spots. And that's what makes the team the best team in the nation no one's complacent because their spot could be gone in a day and they don't get to compete in nationals you still get a ring but you don't get to be a part of you know right the exact competition uh-huh. so it's a healthy it's very healthy it's a way a team should be in my opinion and denver uh the runner-up for big 12 they're also in their regional um you know how good is it for the big 12 that denver's kind of come along here and and again continuing to build their program as well that's huge. Denver's coming off their best season last year. They had an appearance at the NCAA National Championship, and their head coach, Melissa Reinhardt, she is fantastic. And they, they are a funny story because they're not healthy. They put up five girls in three events this year, which means they can't drop their lowest score. Most teams put up six. You count five. They, If anyone knows pressure, it's Denver, <laughs> Denver. because every single meet, They can't fall or else they'll lose the meet, essentially. And it's huge for the Big 12. And, of course, West Virginia and Iowa State getting back up there as well, really building their programs again. And Iowa State will be at the regional. And Kentucky, which kind of had a fall off. And the SEC is so hard. Yeah. I mean, you have Bama, Georgia, um, LSU, LSU, Florida. I mean, four of those teams that have won national championships. And Kentucky. And Oklahoma. Yeah. (laughs) And, of course, OU. But Kentucky's back up there after – not being the best in the SEC because they're so stacked, but it's going to be a fun regional. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And you'll be traveling. You'll be bringing all the coverage of it. And, again, it's coming up April 7th, so a week from this weekend. Um, but, you know, again, we wanted to get Natalie in here following the seventh straight Big 12 championship for Oklahoma she Women's Gymnastics. She has never lost a Big 12 championship. Crazy, yeah. And um, so, yeah, we want to get her in here and talk, uh, you know, upcoming – just they ju- had literally just found out that they were going to be the number one overall seed and, uh, you know, coming off that Big 12 title. So we thought it'd be fun to get her in. So, yeah, lots going on around here. This is a fun time of the year. Uh, basketball's ended, but it's still crazy around here. We still got great teams that are competing, looking to defend national titles. It's always exciting and fun. So uh, we look forward to your coverage of Oklahoma Women's Gymnastics and make sure you get out and watch Oklahoma Tennis as well. Um, they've got some big matches coming Oklahoma up. Oklahoma State this weekend. Yeah, big matches coming up for them as well. So uh, make sure you follow along, keep it here, and uh, we'll be uh, looking forward to bringing you some more exciting guests. We'll keep trying to spread this thing out and uh, introduce you to a lot of different type of people. That's what we enjoy doing. So, again, thanks to Audra Cohen, Natalie Brown for joining us here. This is a long one today, Meg. We were pretty winded on this one. But I feel like it's because it's the first time we've been together in the last three weeks. This is true. I think, honestly, we were just excited to hang out again. Yeah, I mean, because we, we've been on, like, literally on the phone and hotel rooms, like, I was at practice multiple times, like bouncing balls in the background. We're trying to 
sync it up in the phone. So it's like this is the first time it's been kind of easy. So we're like, let's just make it a long one. Let's just go for it. So yeah, this was a fun one. This was a fun one. So yeah, we hope you enjoy listening. And again, we'll be back here next Wednesday. Keep it tuned um, right here on follow us on Instagram, social media, all that. We'll let you know who our next guest is coming up. We got hopefully in the works a very exciting one. That's all we'll say. Uh, I think uh, you guys will be excited to hear from hopefully who we have lined up next week. So at Meg McDonald, at Meg underscore underscore McDonald, at Jessica Cootie, at OU on the air, at Plank Show. Shout out Chris Plank again, as always, our producer, editor, all that great stuff. Thank you. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week here on the Sooner Sports Podcast with Jess and Meg. Bye. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air.